0: Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. Hear God's word to us. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, Happy New Year. Uh, My name's Gabe Coyle. I'm one of the pastors here. And I think, just thinking on this last week, that January 2nd is maybe one of the weirdest days all year. And partly, okay, here's why. This is why I think this because you've had all the warmth of Christmas when you're with either family or friends, and it's super relaxed. Then you have the celebration of New Year's. You have the presents, eggnog. You have the party hats and the dancing. You've got all these wonderful things, and you make all these promises to each other, you know, about how you're going to say yes to better things this year and no to lesser things this next year. And then something happens. Your alarm clock goes off January 2nd, and you look like this, right? And then something happens like <laughs> January 3rd, and then January 4th, and then January 5th, and then January 6th, and then here you are today. You know, and, and it can be a bit of a letdown when you start thinking about the first week of the year because if you're honest with yourself, it feels a lot more like life as usual in the midst of all of these great aspirations that we always have every time the year turns to another. And honest, if you're honest with yourself this morning too, and you saw the forecast, didn't you kind of second guess coming to church too? Yeah, yeah, I know. Here, listen, I get it. I get it. Listen, right? And the reason is seven days into the new year, and every single one of us, even though we felt rested maybe from the holidays, you feel overstretched, you feel stressed out, overwhelmed, and asking the question, how is everything I'd like to get done and need to get done actually going to get done this year? I get it. Now, you may have heard of this guy before. His name's John Maynard Keyes. He's a 1930s economist who made a lot of predictions when he saw a lot of the technological advances that were headed our way for the 21st century. And he predicted that his grandkids would only have to work 15 hours a week. 15 hours, right? That means, just practically speaking, you'd work Monday and Tuesday and have a five day weekend. Doesn't that sound intriguing? Um, Doesn't that also sound ridiculous? When you think about your life and mine, interestingly enough, I found this article from NPR from 2015, so three years ago, where they went and actually interviewed some of Key's grandchildren. Um, Also, side note, it's actually not his grandchildren because he felt like he was too busy for kids. It's his sister's grandchildren. (laughs) And so... So they went and found one of his sister's grandchildren and asked him what his work life was like. And instead of working 15 hours a week as a professor, he found himself working 15 hours a day. Then they went to another one of his sister's grandchildren who is a psychotherapist and asked her about her work rhythms. And she said, I work at least 50 hours a week and feel like I can never take time off. And when you think about our story, when you think, and I know many of your stories Many of you, most of you, if not all of you, would raise your hand and say, I have no spare time to give. And much more common is when I have conversations with you or the phrases that fit our conversations are things like, I'll get to that when I have time. I'm sorry, I just ran out of time. Or you're right, I need to make time for that, right? These are the things that commonly make up our conversation and we feel like we're under the tyranny of the urgent or we're always haunted by what we think is important. Time is one of the most precious commodities we have in our age. And we feel like we never, ever, ever have enough for what we need to do or want to do or feel called to do. And if this was true in the 1930s, and it was true for then our grandparents, our parents, and then this generation, is it just something that we're doomed to forever experience, this busyness? Well, this morning, I I want to pose a question I want to challenge that assumption, and I want to say, what if the real issue for you and I isn't a scarcity of time? Not that we don't have enough time. What if busyness didn't have to be your fate? What if we had the opportunity to choose something else, to choose something better? What if Jesus is offering something radically different? It's not easier per se, but it's simpler and it's better. Well, over these next three weeks, we're going to listen to three reorienting teachings from Jesus out of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus extends a relevant invitation to say that we can give up what is often considered in our culture this normal, busy life and instead say, hey, I have something simply different. To offer you something that's better. And this is how it's going to shake out over these next three weeks, okay? These next three weeks, we're going to follow Jesus as he teaches, as he brings to us a reorientation in each of these three things, and we're going to look at one each week. So, first, we're going to look at our time those minutes, days, hours well, hours, days, weeks, months, years that make up our life. And then, secondly, we're going to look at our lifestyle, our money, our possessions, the plans we make for our lives, and how we define success that drives a lot of those categories. Then thirdly, we're going to look at our attention. In a world where we constantly feel distracted, we're going to look at our relationships, the information engagement, and broadly, in a technological age, we need to understand, yes, Jesus' wisdom on how to engage tools in our life that are supposed to help us be more productive but often distract us, things like technology, okay? And so today we're going to focus in on time, our time, and we're going to be asking the question, how do we make the most of our time that we have been given while simultaneously guarding against the ruthlessness of hurry and busyness? While we're still early on in 2018 and those old habits of 2017 are really threatening to make themselves normalized in 2018, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Jesus' timeless wisdom, and as he is accustomed to do, he's going to tell us a story. So if you haven't already, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verse 16, which is found on page number 874 in our community Bibles. And Jesus begins the story this way. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So you have this gentleman who wants to throw this huge party, right? The festivities, the food, the works. And so he sends out a save the date like we often still do today, even though they often make their ways to our junk mail. And so he sends out the save the date, and everybody who responded yes to the save the date, everybody who RSVP'd and said they're going to be there, he sends out a messenger after he gets everything together, after he, you know, organizes the caterer, schedules the DJ, a little bit of contextualization, but after he gets all this stuff together for the party, he sends out this messenger who goes to the people who RSVP'd, and the messenger says, it's time, the party's ready, it's time to celebrate come which by the way who doesn't love being invited to a party right even if you say you don't love being invited to a party we all want to be wanted like i'm not i'm sometimes i'm like you know what i just don't need another party i just need some quiet but even still there's a joy in wanting to be wanted right when we get that invitation well here in the ancient world in the first century an invitation to something like this had much more weight it was much more like being invited to the grammys and less like being invited to your grannies. Like it was significantly different. It was a huge honor. So how do those, you know, who are invited, the ones who initially, once again, they said yes. They said we're coming. How do they respond? Look with me here at verse 18. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Um, Excuses, excuses, excuses. I mean, all of these folks who had RSVP'd, who said yes, who said they're coming, suddenly are just a little too busy. So let's look at these three guests ever so quickly. We'll kind of walk through kind of their excuses. So the first guy says he's too busy because he's looking over his property. He had just purchased a parcel of land, and he needed to maybe go look it up, fix it up, tidy it up, till it up, whatever might be the case here. But whatever it is, it was more important than this celebration and more important than the host who had invited them to the celebration. We get to the second guest, and suddenly he can't come because he had to go examine five oxen, which he bought, which... Let's be honest. I don't know what examining oxen entails. I'd, I did shadow a rural veterinarian when I was in elementary, so I have firsthand experience there. Uh, and honestly, I don't know why you'd ever choose that over a party. Um, But let's give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, okay? Maybe, maybe, and chances are really good, oxen were how he made his living. This is his work, right? This is crucial to doing his job well and to expecting that they can actually pull a plow or whatever else these oxen needed to do. But the reality is, too, that these oxen, they'd have been there two days later, three days later, four days later, and that's the way it is with all of our work, isn't it? There's always more work to be done. Every day you get to Friday or Saturday late, depending if you're going in on an extra Saturday, which we all know is maybe more normal than we care to admit. And you get there and you have to just stop, even though there's more to be done, because there's always more work to do tomorrow, always. There always will be. And for this gentleman, his work was more important than this celebration. And once again, more important than the host who's throwing this party. And then you get to the last guest. His excuse is like, hey, man, I just got married. What? <laughs> like, and which at first blush, I mean, it makes sense. Things change when you, when you get married, okay? And also new relationships broadly change old relationships. That's just the way it goes. And, and actually, it was really common custom in Israelite society for a guy to kind of take a step back for a year from civil responsibility, specifically military service. We see this recorded in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 24. But notice, if you were to go to that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it is about military service. And so the regulation he's twisting in order to get out of this party he really doesn't have an excuse. And what's also interesting with this guy over against the other two is the other two say, please excuse me, where this guy just says, hey, I can't. <laughs> no apology, no nothing. It's just like, you know what? This isn't worth it for me anymore. I mean, can you imagine being the host? At the end of the night, it'd be hard to consider these folks friends. Am I right? Maybe you've thrown that party. I won't talk about if I've done that or not, but it's just the way it goes. You know, if you throw this grand party and you invite all your friends and then they just don't show or they're suddenly too busy, what does it say about your relationship? Now, we don't know if these guests felt like these were legitimate excuses. Like they they really felt like these things were important or if they were just lying to get out of the party because they didn't want to be with the host. But one thing we do know, one thing that's very clear is that the host is not their priority. When they begin to scour their lives, the host, the one who's throwing this party, is not their priority. When push came to shove, something else took their time. And we can relate with that, right? I mean, especially in this age. Like we talked about time is one of the most important commodities we have in our culture. Nothing communicates priority like what gets our time. Nothing communicates priority in your life and mine like what gets our time. And as Jesus tells this story, as he tells so many stories throughout his life, Jesus is talking about himself. He's the great host of this party. He's planned something extravagant for everyone who takes him up on his invitation to come and celebrate first him for who he is, the host at the center of the party, but then also what he's going to do in the world and where he's taking the world. This invitation, it's out to join him. To join him in a life that is full of forgiveness, full of grace towards others, compassion, justice, joy, and rest. This is what he has to offer, the life that you and I long for. But as Jesus so clearly highlights here, this is the life we're often too busy to attend to because we're busy attending to other other matters. What we often call, quote unquote, our priorities, right? Right? But you know what's fascinating? If you were to scour over your life, no matter how busy we get, we still always make time for what is priority, don't we? We may not always like to admit what is that priority in our lives, but we always make time for what is priority. What is our priority happens. And it shows up in our calendar, even if we don't have the courage to write it in our calendar, it shows up there in our lives. And so I want to ask us a question this morning, and I don't want you to quickly answer. I want you to think about it. What is your priority? What is your priority? Now, you'll notice I didn't say priorities, okay, priorities, because often what we do when we name all these priorities is we're really trying to just hide what is the main thing that we're maybe ashamed that we know is the main thing. I'm not asking you, what are your priorities? I'm asking you, what is your priority. Can you name it? Will you name it? Are you ashamed to name it? When push comes to shove, what always wins out? When it's threatened, what will you drop everything to engage? What's your priority? And this is really important, okay? When we're talking about busyness, right, this plague that is over our culture that really keeps us from some of the best things that God has to offer us, when you understand what is your priority, it frees you to say, without shame, no, no. To lesser things. When you know it is your priority, it frees you without guilt to give a really big yes to certain things, which then disables you from saying yes to smaller things. What is your priority? And if you're still not sure, I was trying to think of a helpful exercise, and here's what I want to ask you to do, okay? Either later today, hopefully not right now, because it'll take a lot of mental energy. Uh, if you get really bored, I guess, why not? But either later today. Or or sometime this week, I want you to look back through your calendar. Look through your calendar for the last week. And I want you to write everything down that you did. Not the things you put in your calendar, not just those, but the things that actually took up your time. Maybe the things you're ashamed to actually put in the calendar that actually always show up in your calendar. Like, hey, in reality, I spent four hours watching the crown, you know. Oh, in reality, I didn't exercise this week. Oh. You know, this is where I was late to yet another meeting because I was doing this other thing. Up, you know, and, and, and notice what's missing. Not just what's there, but what's missing. Because what's missing also shows what you've clearly deprioritized, right? What's your priority? What does my week last week reveal about my priority? That's a very real picture. You can't argue with what you've already done. You can't argue with what actually happened in your life. And doesn't that sound like a pretty important question to answer? Like if we're called to live on purpose and intentionality, and and actually Jesus offers us the life we were designed to live, and it's not matching that, isn't that a question you want to be able to answer with honesty? Have you been honest? Have you been critical about what is priority in your life? And why are you ashamed, also this, why are you ashamed to not put certain things on your calendar that always fill your day? Now, I know some of you in here are not type A personalities. I'm hardcore type A, so I get it. Some of you are like, hey, Gabe, I'm a free-flowing spirit, you know? (laughs) That's what I do. Um, I get it. Cool. Now, just go back still look at the week and where your free-flowing spirit took you. Um, It still took you somewhere, and it's still going to reveal what you think is your priority. Because listen, whatever it is, I want you to know Jesus is absolutely abundantly clear here in our passage that we will always miss God's best when Jesus isn't our priority. Always. We will always miss God's best when Jesus isn't our priority. And I know that sounds churchy, but you're in a church, so welcome. You know, we are who you thought we were. Um, And listen, we'll... But but here, here, this shouldn't surprise you. This is coming from Jesus. And many times people point to him and say he's the son of God and he's worthy of worship. And he says, yeah, I am worthy of worship. I am worthy of the center of your heart. So we, we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus says we'll always miss God's best when Jesus isn't our priority. So I want you to think about it. Is an ox? Is land? Is any other relationship, any other relationship, as great as it may be, Does it compare with one of the most robust banquets with the creator and redeemer of the world? Does it compare with that? Well, when you put it that way, Gabe, well, I'm not putting it that way. Jesus is. So let's look a little bit more about what he's talking about here. Because I mean, when you think about that, how many times have you said to Jesus, I'll get to that when I have time. How many times have you said to Jesus, I'm sorry, I just ran out of time with other important things. How many times have you said to Jesus, you're right, I need to make time for that and it never shows up? Because hear me, as, as, may, as may, much as it may be true for teens, as much as it may be true for parents, as much as it may be true for this generation, it is not our fate. You have a choice, you're making a choice and it doesn't have to be the choice towards busyness. But maybe you're, a- and you're asking, okay Gabe, but what does it practically look like to make Jesus my priority. You know, I've been in my job for a while and I've got these old habits. I'm, I'm just starting a new job. I'm, I'm in school or maybe I'm transitioning to retirement. What does that look like for me? Here's what it means. It means letting Jesus invite you to a simply different calendar. But okay, Gabe, but I thought we were supposed to give Jesus our lives and our hearts. Getting, you know, focusing on our calendar, isn't that a bit myopic? Well, what is your calendar but the minutes? Hours, days, weeks, months, years of your life on display, proactively directed towards the purposes of Jesus. It's where we reveal our priorities and make our priority our priority. So let Jesus rewrite your calendar today. Let Jesus rewrite your calendar. And, and here's what this is going This is how it's going to work out. First, when we receive Jesus as our priority, when we let him rewrite our calendar and we give him this commodity, one of the greatest commodities, our time, it means receiving the invitation to rest. It doesn't instantly mean doing more. Actually, it means receiving the invitation to rest. I mean, here in our story, these guests, they won't stop, can't stop doing whatever they were doing, right? They won't stop looking at the land and their possessions and taking care of all the things that they own. They won't stop going to work and caring for the oxen. They won't stop even investing in all these other relationships and excluding and even keeping one of the most crucial commitments they've made. And I want you to hear this. The temptation that comes with more of anything is that Jesus is invited less into everything. The greatest temptation that comes with more of anything, time, money, you name it, is that Jesus is then invited less into everything because we're so busy with everything that we now have more of that we forget that he's the one who's given it and he's the one who's going to guide us to steward it best. These guests would rather choose looking into their possessions, being preoccupied with work, engaging all these kinds of relationships rather than keeping their commitment to a host, one of the greatest banquets of all time. And what we see here with Jesus, the one who has created everything that is created. We saw this when we were going through John, chapter 1, throughout Advent, right? When we were learning more about the robust nature of who Jesus is. Is that Jesus, when he rewrites our calendar, it means very practically submitting to who you've been made to be. Human. Not a machine. Not a machine. And that means if you're human and you've been made to be human, you need sleep. Sometimes we can over-spiritualize it. And it's, I want you to hear It's so true that Jesus brings rest on the internal realities of our heart. But he's also the creator of our bodies. And he's wired us. We, morning and evening, we're in the garden. Being awake and being asleep, we're in the garden before sin and brokenness entered this world. And Jesus, he's called us to enter back into the garden. And we also see in one of the Ten Commandments, right, we still talk about all of them except for one, a little thing called Sabbath, a day where we step back from work and we cease from work and we rest. Jesus is calling us to be who we've been made to be and we're people who need rest, we're people who need sleep, a good seven to eight hours. Some of you are like, no, 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 Gabe, I'm a guy that needs five. No, you don't. You just drink six cups of coffee, you know? No. Amen. <laughs> there it is. You told me you were going to give me a big amen. There it is. Check. Not, not, not where I was going to. <laughs> Still coming. Now, um, but we need rest. Seven to eight hours. And you need a day to step back from work. Even if you say, you know what, it's not work. My work isn't work. I love doing Come on. Step back. Step back from work. One day. Because if you don't, you know what'll happen? I want you to hear, you are you're folks of high capacity. You will still be very effective in the world. I'm not saying, hey, you're gonna fizzle out. Many of you can go without rest or very little rest without taking a day off, and you can get a lot done. No doubt. What you will what will happen is you'll become someone you do not like. You'll get a lot done. But one of two things will come apart of who you are. You will either have a low-grade anger or a low-grade depression if you don't rest. Guaranteed. Now, I'm not saying everybody who's angry or everybody who's depressed isn't sleeping. I'm not saying that. But if you aren't getting sleep, if you're not taking a day off, you're going to be angry, one, because you're saying, look at all these people who aren't working as hard as me. And you're going to be so angry at the world, at the way it is, and you're never going to be, you're just, it's going to boil up inside of you if you're never resting, Or, depending on your personality, you're going to become depressed because you're going to be frustrated at how little progress you're making or how little progress the world is actually taking. And yes, it's centering our lives on Jesus, but it's also about listening to Jesus, our creator, and getting rest. And that takes work (laughs) to get rest. So I want to ask you, do you see either of those in your life, this low-grade anger that you just can't get rid of, this low-grade depression Well, maybe, just maybe, you're not letting Jesus invite you to the rest he's calling you to, which is both spiritual and physical. Have you made Jesus your priority and so made his creation design of you a priority? Well, the second thing I want to invite us to is when when we receive Jesus' invitation and make him our priority, it means we're receiving the invitation to intimacy with him, intimacy with him. You see, when the host in our story is inviting people to this banquet, he's inviting people to be with him more than anything else, not just to give him all these great things and to forget about him, but to be with him. Jesus wants time with us. He wants us to spend time talking with him, what we often call prayer. He wants us to spend time listening to him, what we often call reading scripture, and listening to him like someone we trust, like a good friend, actually like a Lord, a master such that what he says doesn't go in one ear and out the other, but we take it, we meditate on it, we trust it more than any other voice out there in the world, and we heed it. You know, people will come to me and they'll ask over coffee and they'll say, Gabe, you know, I'm trying to figure out and discern what God has for my life in this area. And one of my first responses is always, you know what, seeking discernment on what isn't clear requires obeying God where he is clear. Seeking discernment on what isn't clear requires obeying God where he is clear. Because if you're going to all these gray areas that really do have to fit more with your gift set or your margin or your station in life, but then God is absolutely clear about these things and you're completely avoiding these things, then you can have no confidence that the discernment you're receiving is actually from him. It's very clear that seeking discernment on what isn't clear requires obeying God on what is clear. And so I want you to look through your calendar. Is there anything in your life that's clearly going against what God has said in his word? Is there anything in your life that's clearly going against what God has said in, in his world? Are you, are you holding back forgiveness, which is not an option for Christians? Are you holding back forgiveness and so those people never make it into your calendar? Are there areas of immorality that you're unwilling to surrender? Have you not made time for the local church? Jesus Makes the church a priority. He started it. He's also the founder of it. That's the same thing. He's the head of it. Just making sure you're paying attention. He's the head of it. And the church is called what? His body. His body. Are you making the local church a priority? And these are just a couple things, okay? There's... there's God is actually so much more clear on what our life is to be like, the good life he's designed and called us to than we care to admit. The issue isn't ignorance as to what God has called us to, it's the unwillingness to submit because we think we're so much smarter. And the reason we think we're so much smarter is because we're not spending the time cultivating intimacy with him because in that intimacy is where we learn to trust him more. Personally, where we're praying and we're laying it out before him personally where we're reading scripture and providing the space where the Holy Spirit illuminates his word and actually speaks to our lives. And then also corporately, communally, when we gather together, and as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, encourage one another onto the good works that we're called to do. Without that, we just wander. And the intimacy with God feels far flung. And you know what'll happen if you don't let Jesus rewrite your calendar in this way? You're gonna easily find yourself, once again, in one of two camps, Depending on your personality, you'll either drift towards apathy or anxiety. And then once again, just because somebody's apathetic or anxious doesn't mean they've not allowed these things in. But, it, but guaranteed, if these are not a part of your rhythm, then you will either have apathy or anxiety. You'll have apathy just saying, I don't care what Jesus has to say about my life anymore. I think I'm just going to be fine. It's my life anyway. I'll do what I want or anxiety, where you're going to be so worked up, unsure as to what exactly God wants for your life, but you're never really investing in intimacy to listen to what God has for your life, that you're going to fill your calendar so full, and you're proving your existence of worth, filling your calendar so full, and always anxious that you're missing something. Either way, I don't think any one of us wants to live in either of those camps. So think about it. Do you see either of those in your life, apathy or anxiety, Have you made Jesus your priority such that you're receiving the invitation to intimacy with him as he's called us to find him? But there's one more thing I think that's really important to note here in our passage. Actually, the one thing that makes the other two so crucial or makes the other two possible. You see, when Jesus invites us to make him our priority, when he invites us to let him rewrite our calendar, he's inviting us to receive the invitation to grace. Absolutely crucial in the midst of the church and who we are as people. Receiving the invitation to grace. The end of Jesus' story in Luke 14, it's a bit terrifying, it's a bit humbling, and a bit exciting all around. After everyone you think would receive Jesus' invitation, the people who said yes at the get-go and then never followed through, who just said, you know what, I'm out. What does Jesus do? What does the host do in response? Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master that none of these folks are coming. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, "Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame." And the servant said, "Sir, what you've commanded, I've done, but, but there's still room." And the master said to the servant, "Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled." For I tell you, none of these men who were invited, who said no, shall taste my banquet. The ones the world overlooks, the ones who have nothing by the world's standards, but one thing they do have in great abundance is time, are the ones who finally receive Jesus' banquet. Amen. There it is. all because of God's grace. None of us deserve the invitation. None of us have earned the right to look down our noses at anyone else. But we all there are grateful beggars at the banquet saying, may I have yet another piece of bread. And we see such a foretaste with Jesus, don't we, in the first century? When people came to him, the broken were made whole, the sick were healed, lost were found, sinners were forgiven. And then we also get a foretaste of that even now. In the body of Christ is what we've been called to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. For those who have time, for those who make time, for those who make Jesus a priority. And then, of course, there's the day that's coming. Because this is just a foretaste. There's still a lot of brokenness, a lot of messiness, right, amongst the people of God. But there is a time coming where the feast will finally be full. And I like to imagine Jesus setting the table even now with the choicest of foods, preparing a place as he's promised he would, a place for his people, which is a diverse people of various backgrounds, of racial, makeup, ethnicities, socioeconomic backgrounds, all together made whole in Jesus because they received his invitation. Not because they were good enough, not because... They were a particular socioeconomic status, race, or ethnicity. But because they received Jesus and his invitation, I can't wait for that banquet, the banquet of eternity. So I want to go back to our initial question just to wrap up. How do we make the most of our time? How do we simultaneously guard against the ruthlessness of busyness and hurry before 2018 gets out of our hands? Well, the answer is, Is making Jesus your priority. Receive his invitation to rewrite your calendar according to his agenda. And the poor are always at the front of his agenda, aren't they? Well, until that, until until his agenda, until he rewrites our calendar, until we receive him as our priority, we won't know rest. We won't. Until we receive Jesus as our priority, you'll be angry, you'll be depressed. You'll be apathetic or anxious and will always make all these excuses as to why God feels so distant and really doesn't care about me when we're never making time for him in the first place. And then grace. Oh, grace will be nothing more than a really neat idea. And who has time for just another idea? You have a choice, every single one of us. And it doesn't have to be a choice towards busyness. It can be something so much simpler, so much better. I hope you choose Jesus and what he has. Let's pray. God, we've got so much baggage when we walk through these doors, so much angst, worry. Holy Spirit, convict us of our arrogance. Holy Spirit, convict us of our self-pity. This is a battle we all wage and I pray, God, that you would help us, that you would realign our loves, that we would love what you love, that we would see the world as you see the world, that Jesus would be at the center and what he values would then become what we value. And it would shape the very fabric of our calendar which shapes the very fabric of our lives. God, may we not be burdened by guilt, but may we hear this as an invitation to grace, the life you long to give us, as a foretaste now in the midst of suffering and pain and battles still, yes, but with the promise of the great banquet that is to come. May we work hard. May we receive you. And may you be our priority. Only by the power of your spirit we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.